Welcome to the One Last Sketch Podcast. It's actually show. a Yadra Pixie Podcast. Is it now? It kind of is. I it mean, kind of is, kind of is it. Well, the One Last Sketch Podcast dedicated, a show dedicated to anything we want to talk about, apparently. Not a whole lot of sketches on your show, on your show or your blog, I'd like to point out. Hey, hey, hey I, I named that blog a long time ago and I'm not changing it. <laughs> yeah. A joint episode, so this is episode 20, or maybe 19.5, depending on what I decide to title this. (laughs) And I don't know what number I'm at, because to be honest, my blog's been dead for quite a while now, as I lay under the radar for carms. But that's over now. Yay! And yeah, Yatropexy. What's Yatropexy about? Well, it's dedicated to medicine, art and medicine, and this does have a medicine relation kind of a thing. And as we discussed earlier, sometimes I vaguely talk about Canadiana, and this is kind of about that, because we're talking about a CBC documentary. Yeah, from the Dock Zone. Volunteers Unleashed! Like, and it's from the Dock Zone, for all of you guys who are all like, oh, we have Hulu, and people in Canada can't watch that. Well, we could watch the Dock Zone up here, and you can't, guys. That's not the uh, best advocacy because doc zone is over i know as well, of this particular documentary too very first doc zone documentary i see and it's a thanks for supporting us over the years i was like well you're welcome so this aired on april 2nd which was not the original air date no i was very disappointed when two weeks before that it was supposed to air and they pulled it at the last second but I guess we'll talk about that later. Yeah. Unless you want to talk about it now. <laughs> no, I think we should overview what this documentary is. In fact, um, you've already stated the name, haven't you? Yep. Okay. Volunteers Unleashed! Unleashed! It, which is true. And it's all about volunteerism. The the case where now people tend to like to go to developing countries and do some kind of somewhat helpfully work. And it's not actually necessarily so helpful. A lot of the people who go, I would say it. you might make the argument, are privileged and frequently white, frequently well-educated. And frequently don't actually help that much. We will talk about potential harms, and that'll happen when we really get into the medical part of this. But why don't you talk first about why you were excited for this documentary in the first place? That's just a topic that did interest me, even though growing up in the Yukon Territory... We didn't really get that We Day parties and so on that they show in this documentary. I didn't really know that many people who even planned to do volunteerist trips after they finished high school. I did hear about people who went to university, but only tangentially from eavesdropping on people. I'd never heard of We Day or or of it as this kind of quite organized sort of event. I had known people go to third world countries and help. And obviously I knew about like doctors without borders and legitimate kind of groups that go and do useful work 
or uh, I can't remember what they're called, Smile something, where they do a bunch of cleft palate surgeries in the third world. Like, that's kind of quite useful, I would say. Well, <laughs> the impression that I had of what volunteers do or how it's set up is that it's somebody who's skilled in certain tasks that they can do and they get sent to places that don't have those people to help out. Right? Yeah, I think there's like there's engineers without border and they'll go and consult on local infrastructure. That's, we are, I want to make it clear from the beginning, we are not saying that those efforts are bad in any way, shape, or form. No, they're the <laughs> things that I thought volunteering entailed if you were to go to a third world country. Yeah. But there were people in high school who did go on mm -hmm. volunteering trips to Africa. I remember that, but it didn't seem to be through any particular placement agency yeah. where there were no companies attached to what they were doing. They would directly work with an NGO and it was usually the volunteering that they did at home was raising money for charity. And if they did go abroad, it would be for like a conference on mm -hmm. AIDS in Africa or something or young people, yeah. how young people can get together to help in mm -hmm. fundraising efforts and actually directly experience mm -hmm. some of the awful things that are going on elsewhere in the world, but not yeah. to be used as day laborers for a two-week trip. I had heard of people, because of where I grew up, I did know of people who had gone on missions to other countries, and that's obviously organized through whatever church they were would be a member of. Um, some of those would be kind of humanitarian missions, but always, I would suspect, with a secondary purpose, because it's a mission. <laughs> I also uh, assume that they don't have to pay for it? I don't think so. I think actually in, in some cases it's, in, it's kind of an expectation of what you just do at a certain point. But that sort of has a long tradition within it, and that also is not really what we're talking about today. Yeah, what this documentary <laughs> focuses on isn't of any of the stuff we talked about mm. leading up in this discussion. It's about... <laughs> People who book through usually some kind of travel agency dedicated to volunteerism to go on a placement for a couple of weeks with maybe with an NGO, but with other things thrown in, mm -hmm. like maybe a safari or other kind of trips and experiences that you can take. So yeah. kind of it's, half. It's all about half, getting an experience. Yeah, half helping people, <laughs> half finding yourself. Finding yourself, having fun, mm -hmm. and usually these. This isn't like volunteering with an NGO and having to take a month's training and then mm -hmm. having to spend two years abroad yeah. working on a project. It's usually maybe a day of training and sometimes even less. Apparently, I was and surprised then, that how short the trips could be. That some people were going for a volunteering project of two weeks, and I mean, yeah, two or three weeks is incredibly short. I mean, it's like. Even doing, like, medical electives, two weeks is not very long. You can just barely kind of get a grasp of what you should be doing. I, I really don't think you can do anything useful in two weeks, and frankly less, because they don't spend all that time volunteering, as was obvious in quite a lot of places. Yeah, the stints, it was really surprising how short these people went for. And it was distressing to me how you could just pay to go and do whatever you wanted. Is very much the more privileged you were, you could be like, oh, I like the sound of that kind of a thing that I'd like to do, so I'm going to go and just do that. And there's no real screening or testing or requirement. Well, it is playing into an idea that, well, it is pushed in high schools, or at least when I was there, you can totally make a difference 
lonely little you working on your own. If you just want to help people, mm -hmm. everything you do, as long as it's well-intentioned, yeah. will succeed, right? Yeah. Uh, I think this documentary was probably first, the ideas for it were first inspired by Pippa Biddle's blog post that they played up a lot. Mm-hmm in here and that Pippa Biddle went on these voluntourist trips and grew very disillusioned with them. Yeah. And she relates one specific story of how they were building a library in a small community, but none of them had any training in masonry or carpentry or anything that could possibly be useful towards doing this. So they were building a wall and then one time she went out early and saw that the local workers there, who she thought were always just late at the worksite, were in fact knocking down what they had done and then doing it properly, which made their presence entirely superfluous. And I mean, if you're going to have something that really pops your bubble of goodwill and faith in yourself, that's, that's yeah. pretty high up there. Yeah, that that was bizarre, and uh, she's an interesting speaker, and fortunately well spoken because she seems to be involved in being like, hey, maybe this volunteerism stuff is at the very least a time waster. <laughs> I think it was kind of because these the people who tended to go, I put them in like uh, age group, I don't know, early twenties, I'd say. About, well, I felt like there. nearly all the people were interviewed were younger than we are. Yeah. Except like the one woman who was a midwife. Yeah, but she the other had person killed. Who had yeah, and then the <laughs> other person who had, was older woman who had worked with NGOs before. Yeah. And then was totally surprised when she went on this stint and was like, "Wait, we only had one day yeah. of orientation where I didn't learn anything, and they're just gonna throw me into this." Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, that was that was interesting. She's like, "Wow, I'm a little uh, blown away by the fact that I cannot teach a room full of children whose language I do not have in common, and because they don't have any skills to fucking teach." So, yeah, yeah, that was the other thing in that a lot of the placements that they did seem to have was teaching in mm -hmm. orphanages or just teaching, mm -hmm. but using people right out of high school who aren't have no training towards teaching. I mean, getting an ed degree isn't a yeah. light. Thing to do yeah and they didn't know the local language and you had one person saying i can't even talk through this whole time we can't even talk to each other i'm teaching them but we're not how yeah. effective can you be when you can only speak english they can't speak english and they speak swahili and you can't speak swahili yeah and a lot of the um it seemed to be a lot of those classrooms were at a very primary school level and that's a whole skill set and they clearly didn't have the skill set just to even manage the room in a reasonable kind of way. Also, <laughs> that if you're a teacher, you want to be sticking with the children you're teaching for a pretty long time. Yeah, two weeks. <laughs> to have oh. any kind of difference instead of having teachers mm -hmm. rotating in and out. Yeah. yeah, they did have the one Spanish person who they, he just said they just basically took him off the street, I guess, because he was white. Yeah. <laughs> he had no qualifications, he said. He had no qualifications. He'd be teaching for a while as a volunteer there, just because they roped him into it. Mm -hmm. But he admitted that I don't. I think these children need a qualified teacher, and that I'm not actually yeah. useful here in any way. He, he. I got the sense he was staying on because he's like, well, it's me or nobody. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. I guess it's me. 
a lot of the attitude reminded me of another documentary I saw on Air Canada. So there's another Canadian connection about uh, the Freedom Summer in Mississippi in the 60s, where a lot of educated, largely white people went to Mississippi to sort of have a movement for civil rights. And a lot of the attitudes of people I found was similar. But the difference there is that at least in Freedom Summer, there was a large organization and they did have a certain amount of organization to what they were doing. This is just so it's self-driven to a point where it's just such a sporadic thing that it's, I don't don't know why these people think that they're able to do anything really useful for others. Well, there's overarching organizations overseeing this stuff, but Mm -hmm. they're not the ones who are placing the majority of the volunteers. Mm-hmm. And it feels like if you're managing a project, that's exactly mm-hmm. where you'd want to be the main person in selecting yeah. your group of workers, as opposed to passing it off mm-hmm. to travel agents who, thanks to the internet, have had a nosedive in business since yeah. the glory days. That have, at least the one guy they interviewed seemed to have jumped ship into the growing travel sector of putting yeah. together volunteerist packages. Yeah, he was honest about what he was doing, and I think he did think he was doing something good. Yeah. But at the same time, because people are, seem to be so much about how this is not necessarily for other people, it's for the experience that you want to have that you think it will better yourself, but also they kind of just want to have an experience that's enjoyable, it seems. So they'd be going and be like, yeah, I'll volunteer a bit, and then I'm going to have a vacation and like, lie on the beach. And to me, if you kind of have those two expectations, you don't have the sort of drive to really make a change necessarily. Because a lot of the kinds of things that you would be doing in a developing country should be hard work and should probably consume you while you're there. So, Especially because it actually distorts the mm-hmm. industry, for lack of a better word. Yeah. Right now, in that they were talking about how the prime choice places to place volunteers were mm-hmm. not necessarily where they were needed, mm-hmm. but where there was access to bars and a beach, and where yeah. you could go on a detour to have a safari and a break, and so yeah. forth in between. The statements that some of the volunteerists made when they went on that safari, and they're like, oh, we've been working hard for four days, it's nice to have a break. And I mean, obviously, I'm jaded and cynical because I'm at the end of my me- of my medical school training and about to go into the first year residency, which is worse. And I'm thinking, oh, poor you. Four days of, I'd call this a questionable level of work. <laughs> yeah, you need another couple days of safari now just to take the edge off of that. And I was really disappointed that these people were going out and partying on the levels that they were. It was just, I just found it was distasteful and very much... What I would say is unprofessional, but that sort of highlights that these are not professionals doing something that they're skilled in. Yeah, well, they had the one orientation session where the person was like, you can get drunk at night, but we expect you to come back in the morning. Yeah. (laughs) Which meant it seemed like there was already an expectation that you were going to end up with hungover volunteers and were doing Mm -hmm. the wink-wink nudge-nudge thing where you're like, no, you're not supposed to do this, but we're not going to stop you. I had a feeling that a lot of the places, and I mean, money makes the world go round, they just sort of wanted them to be there so that they could get money from them, which is obvious. In one of the cases where some volunteers felt they were not handled or organized very well, it was pretty clear that a lot of their money did get sucked by the organization, which might be why these places tolerate having 
these volunteers in the first place is because just the financial gain. But then you have to wonder why you wouldn't just ask people to give money to you directly, but have to yeah. set up this whole volunteering experience for people to, I guess, so that they'll actually pay for it. I think it's playing on selfishness because a lot of this is, I feel, a very sort of selfish thing to do instead of a selfless activity. Because like I said about talking about how this is the experience or as we're going to get into, I could put this on my resume. It's kind of for themselves. Sort of, I'd almost say with a veneer of altruism, but... The But because it's hard to just get people to donate to your charity, because there's a thousand charities screaming for money, when you can play on the selfishness of, oh, you can have this good time as well and sort of make it fun and a vacation, and then also you do something good so you feel good about yourself in a visceral kind of way, then I think it's much easier to get people to come and give you money. I mean, that is kind of the one motivation you can see for bringing people to yourself who aren't necessarily going to help mm -hmm. your cause all that much. Yeah only that they can provide money that you wouldn't be able to get out of them otherwise. Yeah. It did seem to me that that one animal rescue place did seem to need the volunteer help just to do its work. Yeah, but people could have booked with them directly. Yeah. And the whole problem in that particular story where they got mm -hmm. basically sidetracked while well, screwed over by their mm -hmm. placement agency... Mm -hmm. Was <laughs> all the problems came from the placement agency, and if they yeah. had just booked directly with mm -hmm. this animal shelter for probably a lot less money, yeah, they would have had a much better time of it. Yeah, I found those people were kind of funny because they did go, and true, they're not really going necessarily for a humanitarian effort because it's going for an animal rescue thing. But I found it funny when they were sent to that other place that wasn't as good, and the, that the quarters that they were given were dirty, and they're like, I can't sleep in these conditions. And I was like, this, this could only have been made more uh, stinging if they had been sent to, I don't know, sub-Saharan Africa, and were like, I can't live in these conditions, and not being able to tolerate that. Well, actually, lots of people might live in conditions that are not as good as yours, and you've gone to a developing country to do something good. Maybe you should do something about the conditions. Instead, they're driven to be like, this is not what I paid for, as opposed to, oh, how could I do something useful to help? Clearly, this is a place that could actually use some support. And yeah, yeah. we're laughing now about these kind of privilege-centered problems yeah. that people are having, but there are other serious issues that were brought up in the documentary about yeah. orphanages. Yeah. And, and how orphanages would get opened up and just keep the children in deliberate squalor. Mm -hmm. and take in children from parents saying that they're going to get educated mm -hmm. and so forth and then treating them terribly because it means they can draw more money out of the volunteers yeah. who come. It's a very passive kind of terribleness because it's not like they it's not like they go and they like beat up the children, but it's an it's a neglect that ha that occurs. The education oh sorry, the the, the the airways cannot hear the air quotes I'm doing with my fingers there that they're receiving is of the poor quality we've already mentioned. And there was the point where they brought up how these children who've been separated from their parents, either because their parents have sold them for monetary reward or believe that they're getting good education or that their parents are, in fact, dead, um, then are re-traumatized every time there's a rollover of volunteers. And because there's a rollover every two weeks, it's a lot of trauma. 
and we and not that I'm an expert in child psychiatry, nor do I think I will ever be one, but this kind of thing causes a, a reactive attachment issue, I believe, which will lead to long-term psychological trauma that really is difficult to undo and will have huge negative consequences for these kids in terms of success, in terms of their vulnerability to later abuse. And the fact that the people going there are blind to this, going with good intentions, but ultimately causing a significant harm is... Ugh, it's all the more horrible because they just they don't know the problem that, they're, that they are actually causing. Yeah, one really shocking <coughs> thing about that segment was just the access... Mm-hmm that they gave the volunteers to the mm-hmm. children there, and that there didn't seem to be any supervision at all, and they yeah. would, in fact, encourage mm-hmm. people to, oh, t- sure, take them out for a trip for a few hours where we don't know where you're going, or and the fact that there's no... because you paid for this, so... Go, the fact that there's no them. criminal record check, no anything to protect these children, is... That's why, the, that's why it was a... Uh, a man working with a legitimate group that seeks to alleviate child suffering in developing countries was telling us about. Um, what country were they in there? Was was it Thailand? I want to say it's Thailand, but I don't think it actually was. No, somewhere. Cambodia, in, maybe? Yeah, I think it was. Isn't that sort of Southeast Asia, Indonesia yeah. area? Of course, there's another big issue, with uh, which ties into the medical bit where lots of people like to pad their resumes and for obvious reasons of it's hard to get into med- into medicine in a developed country uh, because of the high, whatever you want to call it, the high bar set to get in. So people will often go to third world countries to get some experience or put something on their resume. And indeed, there were many things that I put on my resume, but I was trained <laughs> and in no time did I cause a harm. That was probably the worst part. That was gut wrenching. <laughs> yeah, I mean, in that the I think just the people that they were interviewing, it seemed so cynical to me. The cavalier attitude with degree. human life was it made me really angry. I was furious yeah, at that point. Because the one young woman was talking about, oh, in in North America, I'd never be allowed to do this stuff. Yeah, I and wonder over why. Here, they just had that case is even worse because later on that person faints during uh, surgery on a person who had a machete wound mm-hmm. and then the doctor has to go and yeah. minister to her just leaving this person moaning on the table. Yeah, I mean, that clinic seemed, I think, also the money from the volunteers. And I would suspect also the, the owner of the, of the manager of the clinic stated just they help the body bear to do something useful. Um was helpful but i mean these these people are pre pre-medical and the kind of things they were doing were something that you'd expect a third year student to be allowed to do which is already after two years of at least training in theory and also after a certain certain amount of practical instruction also by people who are who have many eyes on you at all times to make sure that you cause harm uncomfortable how they thought about the local people as practice subjects as yeah. opposed to real human beings. Which, <laughs> to me, I was thinking, wow, if these people get into medicine, I think that's, I don't, I don't know if these are the kind of people you want in medicine. At the same time, I wonder if they came because they had an intention to do good, and then 
develop the cynicism to protect themselves from the uh, realization that what they are doing is actually quite detrimental. But they want so badly to get into medicine, they want so badly to do something good that they kind of don't admit that to themselves. I like to at least give them that benefit of the doubt. But well, we can yeah. assume there's all kind of attitudes attached yeah. to the people who take these opportunities. Yeah. Uh, I think maybe the documentary mm. does emphasize the worst side. Yeah, <laughs> I would say of, it does. Of this particular group that they were interviewing, because yeah. having one, the one young man, I think from Germany, yeah. I, he had a kind of German accent, so maybe he was from Germany or Switzerland yeah. or somewhere yeah. around there. Mm -hmm. Talking about, oh, I didn't get into med school, so I came over here mm -hmm. to get some practice, and this is my ticket into medicine. Mm -hmm. And how amazing yeah. it is that he can assist in surgeries and so on. Yeah. It just, everything <sighs> that he said in that interview was about his own personal mm -hmm. benefit. I think that was one case where I don't. I don't think what they had chosen to air of that guy's interviews, he said anything about helping people yeah. at all. Like I said, it was seemed in many cases to be a selfish, not a selfless. And I don't want to be harsh on these people because I don't know them very well, and it is a documentary where what is shown is edited. But maybe there's a reason they have not been accepted into a medical school. There is a possibility of that. Um, yeah. I hope at the very least these experiences will cause them nightmares in the future that will give them some something to reflect about that's not to say that people who in med school do global health electives are in the same boat because there are many people in my class who went on a global health elective to tanzania or to china or, or many places and they studied and they studied global health this as a medical student also kind of with the purposes of looking at sort of resource management questions and differences in disease processes, and always under the guidance of the university and in partnership with the local health authorities, so it is organized, controlled, and people are safe. At the same time, I did hear stories about people telling me that they got to do things that they thought was a little bit, wow, I wouldn't get to do this back home, that this is kind of crazy, but at the very least, they are in they are in some place, in some ways, slightly more trained. But I would say that probably that I would suspect global health electives to be, well, if not necessarily helpful to to other groups, at least actually an educational experience. I'm not really sure what education the the people who went in this documentary actually got, other than whoa, that's a machete wound, and he's got to grind the bone off. Woo! Because having spent a lot of time in an operating room, I'm not convinced you really learned that much. <laughs> Well, that's something I know absolutely nothing about. <laughs> what distressed me the most is that there was a woman in distress there, their patient, because they couldn't use a full anesthesia due to the conditions, and thank God they didn't, because she probably would have died. And nobody, none of these volunteers moved to comfort her in any way. That I thought oh, was not really... until mm -hmm. afterwards, mm -hmm. and that she at that point she pushed them away because I would too. They had been completely useless. Mm -hmm. yeah, it's. Not even an exaggeration. I can't even say you can put it down to the editing there. Yeah. It just appeared that they were entirely mm -hmm. useless through that entire yeah. procedure. Yeah, I mean, at the beginning, when the guy, when the guy gestures to here, well, something goes wrong. Here's the bag valve mask, right? And the volunteer just kind of nods right, and that you know what? Hopefully they have CPR training, and they know how to use a bag valve mask in case she does need to be ventilated, but who knows? <sighs> yeah. Well, that's... um. Depressing. I found it interesting that, because you mentioned the midwife before, 
how she found the other volunteers sort of cavalier attitude disgusting. Distressing. I think, yeah. I think she was from Australia. Was she from Australia? Yeah, she was definitely from Australia. And she was, and she had gone in, and you can tell that there's kind of the difference between someone with some training is that they say, oh, well, you're a midwife, so you know how to do everything. And she kind of went, whoa, I've only been licensed for six months. You have to show Four me months. how to do some of this. Four, Four months. months. Yeah. Not even six. Not even six. But still, yeah. she has training, and she's able and to recognize, I don't have the skills to just go at it. The fact <laughs> that she backed away from that, which is in stark contrast to what some of these other volunteers mm-hmm. would just throw themselves in mm-hmm. without thinking about the implications of what they were doing, like she clearly did. I'm not sure that they didn't think about them, or if they were just finding those thoughts too uncomfortable that they were kind of refusing to think about them at this time. Because they had been there for a while, I think, by the time the interviewer saw them. Uh, depends on which ones they were talking to. Because the yeah. one, the one girl from Canada, I think, had just started. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about the three medical ones. Oh yeah, the medical ones had been there for a bit longer. So I think they had time to get jaded. It's kind of too bad we didn't get to see them right at the beginning and sort of see. Because uh, I bet we'd see quite a bit of shock. And mm-hmm. now the and now they're like, well, I want a good. Um, good uh like reference so i'm gonna roll with these punches and do what i'm told to it's a possibility i'm trying i'm trying to be given the benefit of the doubt that i can because otherwise i get very angry <laughs> yeah and we have to go back to that point it is a documentary it only yeah. shows certain things and its mm-hmm. focus is very much not on mm-hmm. the good mm-hmm. side of yeah. this, presumably because there's so much in ways of advertisements and talks and these mm-hmm. We Day events that happen telling you about how great it is, right? I noticed there was a certain amount of blurring out at the We Day events. Didn't you have some suspicions <laughs> about that? <laughs> it's not... You can watch the non-edited versions of those segments on the Canada Land website. Mm-hmm. Which is a for those of you who don't know, Canada Land is a podcast dedicated to media criticism in Canada, mm-hmm. and they jumped right on it when this documentary got preempted yep. for shady reasons. <laughs> <You're not laughs> and it really was. I was looking forward to this. I sat down, and they put on a different documentary. I was going, "What's going on? What's going on?" When on the internet, there'd be an announcement on Twitter, mm-hmm. like an hour before the documentary was supposed to air that it wasn't going to be showing that day. (laughs) (laughs) And it's still not clear what the circumstances behind this were in that CBC has said that there was copyrighted material that they needed to edit out. Mm -hmm. But that copyrighted material wasn't actually owned by the company that told them they needed to pull the documentary. Yeah. And that was Me to We, the for profit arm of Free the Children, run mm-hmm. by Craig Kielberger, who mm-hmm. I heard a lot about in elementary and high school to the point where I became super jaded. <laughs> not not that we being much less powerful as than the C- the C B C wish to make any comments necessarily about this particular individual. No, we don't know anything about this. The only background we have is that he was on Canada Reads defending one of the books at the time that this documentary was supposed to air. Mm. And that one of his companies was involved in having this documentary re-edited so that they say 
not even that there was anything said against B2E in the original cut, but that there it had just been implied in some way, and those segments yeah. were removed. Yeah. You can watch the original segments, and it's clear what was found objectionable. Yeah. And CBC has not confirmed whether it was a libel suit, even though other parties have said there was a libel suit threatened. Yeah. So you do hear Craig Kielberger's voice in this documentary. Yes, you do. <laughs> Currently, in the original cut of it, you actually saw him. Mm-hmm. That's, that is the entire controversy, folks. Canadian TV is so dramatic. Whoa. Well, we'll leave that one. We'll drop that hot coal before it burns us. <laughs> so yeah, that's that's Volunteers Unleashed. It's a fairly short documentary for those of you who can actually watch it. Um, it's available on the Doc Zone website, but you can only watch it if you live in Canada. But I'm, you know, there are ways to get around that. Not that, uh, not that I'll condone any of them. Yes, not that we condone any of this, but they do exist. Yep, they're out there. We can't stop them from existing. Altogether, I think it's it's good to, it's good food for thought because you hear about people going, I'm going to go and do this, and you think that's great. But it's I think it's always good to have a critical thought of what actually is the impact we're making. And if people are going on the, well, you know, Gandhi said, be the change you want to see in the world. Well, are you actually making a change that is useful? <laughs> Would probably be an important thing to think about. And maybe we're expecting too much of teenagers. I don't know. <laughs> are they teenagers? I guess some of them could be like 19, well, 18. a lot of these cases are people coming straight out of high school. Oh. Is what the documentary was implying, and that yeah. they were motivated to do this by events in high schools. And uh, I remember being a teenager, and I remember my judgment being terrible. Yeah. <laughs> I just remember thinking, I'm allergic to nuts. There's no way I'm going to a country where I might eat a nut and not have access to what I need. So, yeah. Yeah, but in your case, they actually seem to push it in some way. I think yeah, it's not... in Whitehorse it was just a non-issue because yeah. nobody came up there to say, hey, guys, come and volunteer. Yeah. And uh, something that I kind of find funny is that you have these people, and it's sort of the imperialism question, or um, what's that word called? Colonialism? Yeah, it's the colonialism question, thanks for the word there. <laughs> Where you have somebody from somewhere else going and telling other people what to do. But why can't you make changes in your local area? Because personally, I'm a big fan of ending a homelessness in urban centers where you live. Because that's an issue that is on your doorstep. You don't have to pay hundreds of dollars to go there. You can do something direct for your community. Yeah, and, we need to yeah. realize that there are communities in Canada that have conditions that are sometimes worse than those found in third world countries. There are conditions that are, yeah, that are like third world countries and... It's largely in, na in Native Amer North American groups, and it's an atrocious thing. But you have a harder time getting people to go to help with that, and a much easier time getting them to go to Tanzania. I guess if we're going to dwell on the colonial question, we need to go back to something Pippa had said uh -huh. in the documentary about how when she was there, she started noticing... How she got to sleep in better conditions than the people she was told to care for. Mm -hmm. She was given better food mm -hmm. than the people she was there to care for. Mm -hmm. And obviously, clearly, because she had paid mm -hmm. in some way. 
but presumably the pay that you put to an NGO mm -hmm. for a volunteering trip is supposed to go towards charity, yeah. not towards purchasing things for yourself. And the fact that it sets up that dialogue in the youth of the local area, that this foreigner who's so different gets these better things and you don't, is also, I think, pretty reprehensible. And that's what her, a lot of her talks were about. Yeah. Well, I, th I think we've kind of hashed this out as much as we can. You, in many cases, we basically told you the entire plot of this, because, again, it's not a very long documentary. In fact, the uh, raw footage of this podcast is approximately the same length. <laughs> So, yeah. yeah, but we don't have slick editing like the, no. the producers at the CBC have. Oh yeah, yeah. CBC gets all that all that government moolah, right? Yeah, right. So, <laughs> so yeah. much that we have a continuing documentary program on CBC, right? Right? Yeah, yeah. You it didn't get axed, did it? Did it? Oh, sad realization. <laughs> So uh, I guess this has been our lament for the end of Dark Zone. <laughs> yeah, I guess ultimately. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, this has been Marie for Yatropexy signing off. <laughs> yeah, we totally didn't introduce ourselves at the beginning of this. <laughs> <laughs> we figured people just know us. <laughs> yes, I'm being Michael Vujic from the One Last Sketch blog slash podcast slash probably needs a better name, but I'm too lazy to change <laughs> It, you could also think of it as like a drama sketch. I think it's okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, you can you can find me at onelastsketch.wordpress.com. I am not on Twitter. Do not try and find me on Twitter. <laughs> You're on Stitcher and something else. Yes, this podcast is on Stitcher Radio and on iTunes for those of you who would rather get it that way. And I'm not nearly so slick, but uh, yeah. Look at yatropexy.wordpress.com. <laughs>